What's up, everybody? We've got those cloud lifters now. The audio is going to be greatly improved. Uh, when you guys support us on our Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash tasteless podcast. The money we get there goes to make this podcast more awesome. So this should be a cleaner, better sounding podcast, at least on an audio level than anything we've had before. All right. Enjoy. Our guest for episode four of the Tasis podcast is Atlas, a League of Legends caster. <gasps> That's right. You probably thought, I don't know, see, or talk to any of the League of Legends casters. Well, you're wrong. He actually lives down the street from me, and I see him all the time. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we had a really interesting conversation in this podcast. I think it's important for people to see. Uh, you know, a lot of times people focus in on just one game and assume that you know the other games are their enemies or that... These people don't associate with each other when, you know, at the end of the day, we all have a lot in common as people who are you know, fans of whatever respective esport we follow. And so we had a really cool conversation about his history as a uh, caster. We talked about what it's like to be talked about on the Internet, whether that's on Reddit or Twitter. And uh, we talked about a lot of other stuff in esports, Heroes of the Storm as well. I thought it was a great podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Max, thank you for being on the show. How are you doing today? Absolutely fantastic, Nicholas. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. This is my first time doing uh, a recording since, what was it? What, we did episode three. That was before the first one came out. So now we're finally doing this again. Um, I've been loving doing this. And uh, I was really excited to have you on the show. Because, Thanks, well, you've been in Korea for how long now? About two years. Two years. And uh, you started out in Australia. I did. That was where I was born. Yeah. Now, I've always thought... Couldn't help it. <laughs> I've always thought that it's got to be kind of weird being from Australia if you're a gamer. Like, for one, from what I understand, <laughs> yeah. the internet there um, was what horrible and, and still basically is. Yeah. Yeah. No, the internet has never been uh, all that great. I mean, there has been uh, some improvements uh, recently with uh, things like the NBN, uh, which rolled out, I don't know, a few years ago now, probably about seven or eight something like that the internet has improved but it's only improved for very small pockets of australia right so if you're australia's a pretty big place if you guys don't know so it's not necessarily about being condensed it's about being everyone's just completely spread out and so the internet varies from place to place and most people are going to be outside of nbn zones because it is just not in many places yeah so basically it's so spread out it's not cost effective to yeah. have well i mean to, it, i don't know it's hard it's it's all politics and the government I mean, saying that this isn't worth it for x and y and it's but i mean if you're yeah. in, if you're in sydney or a place like that like a metropolitan area is yeah. the internet doable then is, is it, it only for the rural areas no it entirely depends so i was living in uh, sydney for three years i'm originally from melbourne um i moved up to sydney uh to start my career as a commentator and I had to choose where I lived very, very particularly because otherwise I wouldn't be able to have access to the MBN and uh, fast internet. Do you think that's ever going to change out there? I mean, are there parts yeah, of, of Australia that are just going to be permanently fucked or is this eventually going to fix itself? I mean, it'll eventually fix itself. Not for everywhere, right? If you're in the middle, like in the desert, you're right. not going to have internet. But I yeah. mean, if you're in the desert in any country, you're not going to have internet, right? Like. I, for suburban areas, I think that it eventually will sort itself out because we're in we're like heading into an age where technology is going to rule, right? And having access to 
fast internet is going to be important, whether that's going to be mobile internet or whether that's going to be, you know, fiber around, uh, around Australia, I don't entirely know. The biggest issue with Australian internet, Tasteless, is the fact that we're really far away from everyone. <laughs> this is what I was going to get to. Is, <laughs> so um, the, the only time I've been to Australia, I think I went in, uh, I think it was 2013, mm-hmm. uh, for WCS for StarCraft. And I had always wanted to go because you know, a lot of Americans have a really uh, a high view of Australia. It's, it's regarded really well. Uh, I, I noticed that when I went yeah. to America. I was like, yeah. why do you guys like that? <laughs> I, think, I think me. that a lot of, uh, you know, it's similar to the States, but it has a lot of things going for it that I think a lot of Americans kind of want to fix up on. You yeah, know, okay. um, I can see that. And so I was super excited to go, but I did not fully appreciate just how far Australia and, and <laughs> Sydney for that uh, matter were until I flew there. I mean, I know where Australia is on a map, but, <laughs> you know, when you look at, rectangular maps it makes you not appreciate yeah how far north to south you actually have to travel to get anywhere well when it when you when you're looking at the map right and you've got like this place is on you know the the east and the other place is in the middle you're like oh right it's only halfway it's not it's not yeah. how that works actually <laughs> uh, we um i think we flew into kl kuala Lumpur or singapore i can't remember which one um but i mean a common uh you know pit stop to get to sydney yeah and i in my head, I thought, okay, it's going to be just a few more hours, and <laughs> we're going to be in we're going to be in Sydney. And then um, I sat down on the plane, super haggard from the, the flight from Seoul to yeah um, KL. And then they said uh, over the speaker, "This is going to be, I think it was like a ten hour flight, eleven hour flight, or something." Well, like it's that. actually weird uh, that you're you're making the reference from like flying from Seoul to Australia because yeah. that yeah that that's a long one I've done that one a few times to go and see my mom yeah. things like that you think about that as an from an American standpoint that's like what 17 hours or yeah, something yeah, like that I've made that <laughs> flight a few times as well I mean that's literally the other side of the planet <laughs> they made this announcement on my flight and I immediately perked up and looked around at the other <laughs> passengers expecting them to be as shocked as I was yeah yeah <laughs> and nobody was <laughs> and the, pl- the plane starts to move and I just realized okay I, this is my reality now mm-hmm. I'm in for a flight that was three or four times longer than I thought um so is it weird to get out of you know Australia just being so far away physically from from home and from from frankly everywhere else well the thing is like Australia is very different from almost every other country Right, because it is so isolated. Even our animals and our plants are incredibly different, right? So I get off an aeroplane in any other country, and I'm like, "Where am I? This this doesn't make sense. Where are the gum trees? Where are the where are the, <laughs> where are the kangaroos, man? Like, I don't, like how are these animals alive? That doesn't make sense. They're not hopping. And then was was Korea the first place you came to? Uh, no, from I've working been... in Australia, and then or well, as far as living in, yes, uh, Korea is the first place that I've lived in outside of Australia. But I, you know. The first country that I went to that wasn't Australia was 10 years ago and I went to China for five months just, you know, traveling around and uh, meeting a friend of mine who was who was teaching English over there. So the culture shock had uh, hit me 10 years prior. So I was uh, relatively prepared for things to be a little bit different from uh, how they are at home, especially the fact that, you know, you, know, you can see in a dis- into the distance when you're in Australia. I, I learned that you had to say goodbye to being able to do that. Oh, yeah, when you're in China. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's it's definitely a transformation. And what's funny about that as well is that um, I know a lot of people who, who you know are not from Northeast Asia make this mistake of assuming if you've been to China, then you're going to have an idea of what Korea's like. <laughs> or if you've been to Korea, you're going to have an idea of what 
China's like. And in fact, those two countries are completely different. Yeah. And nothing that you learn in one of those places, at least in my experience, I found to be particularly helpful when I'm in the other one. No, especially, especially not like language and things like that, right? The Korean language, the Chinese language. Yes, there are similarities, but it is completely different, completely different alphabet, everything like that. So everything that I picked up in China was entirely irrelevant apart from some portions of the food just because you can get really good asian cuisine that's based on similar vegetables here in korea so you see something and you sort of understand what it's going to be like if you've been to china beforehand just because you know we're here in relatively similar geographic locations and therefore similar things are going to grow right i mean not a lot of people talk about this, but Korea is attached to China. So we're a tiny peninsula just off of China, even yeah. though we're um, North Korea. Technically, makes us an island in a lot of ways. Yeah, North Korea is that real scary bridge with the like yeah, big old that troll we, underneath we it that we can't get through. That's right. Um, yeah. So when you uh, when you became a caster, how exactly did that start? Did you start making stuff online and and then? eventually get noticed because i noticed everybody has kind of a different story about how they ended up out here doing this line of work um well so I, where did you start my uh my beginnings were were really weird actually so uh i was living with uh a uh, girlfriend at the time this was back in 2012 something like that and uh she was actually getting into hosting and uh similarly in the in the esports industry and she sort of got in contact with a company that was doing it. This time I was working in IT. I was working for a uh, educational software company doing IT support, which wasn't exactly the most glamorous position. What, what, what exactly is, I, am I asking for myself, what exactly is IT support? Like uh, it's, it's turning just, it off just, and on again. Okay, so it's just tech yeah, support. Literally tech okay. support. Yeah, yeah. I, for this company, because I've heard that's people say that and make that joke, but I wasn't sure if that's actually what it. No, that was what literally it, what, it what I did. Okay, and okay. Th- this was for like old ex-teachers that came in to sell educational software to companies most of the time, right? And so I'm, I'm telling uh, older women how to turn their <laughs> monitors on and off and their computers on and off. That was uh, basically my job, and uh, that's not to, you know, be too gender specific that's just how it happened in my particular office (laughs) (laughs) not making any generalizations guys but uh yeah that was uh that was basically my life and so when uh when she did this right when she uh contacted uh this company uh, it was called gamester free plug there for those guys um she uh did a trial and i was i was at home at the time so I, i walk in and she's like i'm about to do my do my trial uh commentating a game of league of legends and i'm like oh you can do that in australia what? Because I'd, I'd been I'd been listening for to you know the the very infancy of League of Legends broadcasting for you know about a year or something like that, and I sort of knew how League was commentated. I'd been following uh, you and Dan for many a year before that as well, so following the StarCraft scene and things like that. So I sort of had an idea of what commentary was supposed to be like. Had no idea that I'd be able to do it or anything like that. But I heard uh, my girlfriend at the time start, and I was like. I, I, you know, I reckon I could probably do this. All right, this is probably something that, that I could do. And then I realized that I had an awkward conversation coming up where I had to be like, hey, hey, uh, so I know congratulations on doing your trial and things like that. It went really, really well. Um, can, can I do it as well? <laughs> oh, really? Is that how it started? That's basically how it started. And she was like, yeah, that's totally fine. And then I had my own trial after that. And they said... Yeah, no, you're pretty good. And I was working with them just for basically for nothing 
And so wait, was that is that Riot Australia then? Or no, was this, no, 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 no. This was this, before this was, Riot. Yeah, this was before Riot even came so you, to Australia. So, so, so what? Uh, what was the network? The company was. I don't know whether it's even a company, but they were called Gamester. And oh, they, okay. That, and um, they were they were me, broadcasting right. like sort of open ladder stuff, or, which was called the Cyber Gamer Ladder for League of Legends. They also did or are doing a bunch of other games as well. I haven't been following Gamester's uh, actions since then all that closely but yeah i think they branched out into other esports and things like that so, so what what is that trial like well i, I mean, mean what, what did they ask was they, it like a demo tape or something of you casting over a game yeah that's basically what it was so they, what they did was they fired up a game of league of legends and uh one of their commentators jumps on board with whoever they're trialing and you commentate a game together and you just see whether or not they can do it and, and uh it, there weren't any like distinct roles there was no idea of how this is supposed to happen this is back when league of legends was a, a little baby that was still growing up trying to find its feet and so you could get away with being pretty lax with your technique one could say you know <laughs> this particular trial which happened like what seven years ago now or something like that it's, it's so were, were you were you nervous at all or, or were you were you no. ex- were you expecting to get it? I mean, were you going in there thinking, I'm just going to have fun? Well, like, for, for me, it wasn't like a paid position or anything like that. You know, I already had my full-time job. I never expected this to be like an actual uh, career path for me, right? This was just something that I thought seemed fun at the time. I had no concept of this possibly being something that I can make money on. And so I just went in having a good time, right? And so I was just talking about League and like, I really liked it at that particular point And... And I knew a lot about it because I was so invested. I've been playing the game like nonstop since it came out. And so I was, uh, I was very excited. And um, that was basically all I felt. I didn't really feel nervous because it was a, not necessarily for something that was incredibly uh, high tier, one could say. You know, not a lot of pressure. So in a way, I guess you, you kind of, it's like one thing led to another thing. Yeah. And then ultimately, I mean, well, I, feel like, like, I feel like that's how my career started as well, as I just kind of, uh, I, I got I lost at a tournament early, and, and I mean, they do. And then eventually, you know, I thought I, I bet I could, I don't know, con my way into them letting me go to the finals. You know, I, I, they probably don't have anybody else to cat. And then I get that, and then it, you know, eventually I've gone to an, a couple of events, and um, I just, you know, thought, okay, well, you know, maybe there's, I, let's just see how far this thing will go. Yeah, exactly. You know, let's just keep walking down this rabbit hole. Yeah. That's almost exactly the same story as uh, uh, uh Julian um pastry time, who is uh he used to be. A commentator in Australia and now uh, works out of LA doing uh, the LCS. I know a lot of uh, your listeners will know who this guy is. Um, he was a mentor of mine for a long time, a fantastic mind when it comes to commentary, definitely. And uh, he was in a tournament, got kicked out early, and then just volunteered to commentate the rest of the tournament. And it was uh, from there, he basically made a career out of it, right? That was sort of like where the story. Uh, started off and mine was similar you know I was doing this thing and with uh, this company and I then decided to leave I uh, found a friend of mine that uh, wanted to commentate with me his name was Dale Never Fails Uh, then changed his name to Hot Soggy Noodles which is just brilliant (laughs) got to put that on uh, you know overlays and things like that yeah commentating (laughs) with my my good mate Hot Soggy Noodles his name's Dale I'm gonna call him Dale for the remainder of this broadcast that's what I call noodles for short yeah I was gonna when you're doing the play-by-play well back back then my name was Slappy Baggins I actually changed it (laughs) to Atlas my name was Slappy Baggins at the beginning which is a combination 
of a reference to Scrubs and a reference to Lord of the Rings. Because I always wanted to be Slappy Bag, but the name was always taken. So I had to Oh, like Frodo Baggins then? Yeah, so okay. Slappy Baggins instead. Uh, <laughs> don't even ask. Now, you, um, so you then got to Brisbane. I'm sorry, wait, did you say Sydney or? or? Sydney. Sydney. Sydney, excuse me. Uh, and you were working out there. And then um, did you eventually get contacted by Riot? Did you ever actually work out of the... Um, Sydney office? The Sid- I mean, well, yeah, of course. Okay, so... You- yeah, so uh, I actually, it was it was a really weird uh, situation, right? So uh, after I sort of started on this, down this road of commentary, I, I got a few sort of little gigs, sort of live gigs, right? Where I'd, I'd actually turn up and I'd be there and there'd be cameras and we'd actually get a few viewers uh, for the Oceanic scene before there was even a server out there. And so I got a bit of a taste for what this could actually be if I was a commentator full-time, right? If there was an opportunity. And so I got really excited about potentially being able to follow this because I didn't see much value in my career at the time. And uh, behind the scenes, I mean, there were all sorts of other issues as well. I mean, I was getting counseling. I wasn't doing so well mentally. Uh, It was a really rough time for me at that particular point. And so through therapy, actually... Uh, I was I was talking to this phenomenal counsel that I had. She's uh, she was brilliant. Her name was Sarah. Shout out to you. Thank you so much for saving my life. Uh, she basically said, "Look, man, you got to do what you think you're good at, and you've got to do something that you're motivated to do because otherwise, your life is just not going to mean anything to you, and you're gonna gonna keep spiraling, right?" And so she was like, "What you need is a complete change." Go out and do something that you want to do, that you're good at, and that you can provide value with. And I was like, all right, mom, dad, I'm moving to Sydney. I had no, there was no offer. There was nothing, like no one had said that I could commentate anything. I knew that there was going to be a riot office in Sydney. I knew that. That was all I knew. And so I flew up and just decided, hey, I'll go and live with a mate for a little while. I'm going to stay on a couch. I'm a... Going to start a TV and film course uh, at Sydney TAFE. Uh, did that for a little while and was uh, practicing a lot of like interview technique, things like that, which was actually very useful moving into commentary. But it wasn't long after that I got contracted for my first actual gig for Riot. And uh, from there, it was history. That was, uh, I believe, 2013. Oh, it's hard to, it's hard to remember exactly the the time 2014 i think was when i made the the full move and then i was contracted and then by the end of the year i was employed that's that's really cool you went and got counseling and i think took that advice i mean, I, I feel the same way for me and i've also been in and out of counseling before i mean it makes a huge difference but being able to do what you love and what actually has meaning to you i don't think a lot of people have that opportunity no and a I, lot of people have jobs that just fucking suck yeah and you know the, they, prob- the problem they have is shitty is lives like- they wait for the weekend and then they die in their race. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool to be doing something that you really enjoy. Yeah, but like, it, it's weird, right? Because the way I interpreted it wasn't like I got really lucky in finding, like, in having an opportunity to do the thing that I love. The way I interpreted it was, is I found out something that I'm good at and was then able to pursue it to the point where I could find the opportunities because I was aware of them, right? Like, a lot of people have different skills a lot of us have the ability to do different things and many of us never actually find what we're supposed to be doing like we're all we're all different we're all unique and there's like a billion and a half but like 
way more than we can comprehend combinations of skills that you can utilize in order to be good at a specific thing, right? And I think that the thing that we're lucky in isn't necessarily finding our way into an industry. It's finding a way to channel talent into the correct thing for us. Does that make sense? That, that makes a lot of sense. Something I'm curious about is that for we're both broadcasters. Yeah. I mean, a, an esports commentator is basically just a broadcaster. Um, broadcasting is ranked as one of the most stressful jobs out there. There's basically the really stressful jobs at the, at the top ranks, military, um, working in the military, being a policeman, yeah. uh, EMT. But then you know, just a few down, it's basically in the top 10, is, is journalist, broadcaster. Um, I, I can't remember some of the other ones, but basically it's a high-stress job. Yeah. Did you find this job to be stressful? It depends where you, you started, where you look at, right? Because yeah, at the beginning, like I was deathly nervous, you know, like my first paid gig where someone was giving me money to do this talking about video games thing. It's weird. Like, oh man, <laughs> it was, uh, it was very, very strange, especially with my upbringing. My dad's a mechanical engineer, right? He's got a real job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he'd, he'd look at me and be like, I don't know how you did this. I've been so angry at you playing video games your whole life and not actually doing anything useful. And now you've turned it into a job. He's just, he, he's, my dad is a wonderful man and I love him a lot. But the first time that I actually got a paid job doing this, he felt like all of his teachings went out the window and he was trying to quit. He was questioning what his entire reality is. If this could be something that you can actually pursue as a legitimate career. Did you, have you heard of imposter syndrome? Uh, yes. Like I think you, we we've had a conversation. About yeah, this yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, basically, that's where you get into a, a job or a position, and so, in your head, you didn't maybe didn't feel like you should be there, and then it's this weird experience of okay, you've got the job, you're doing the thing, but you're an imposter, you don't belong there. Yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. You've, you're a phony, or somehow you conned your way into this, and it's uh, often associated with uh, self esteem, right? Like, yeah. Generally, when people don't think that they're worthy. That's when you get a, a feeling like this, uh, even if you are entirely qualified. D did you ever have any experiences with anything like that? Oh, hell yeah, man. Yeah. I, I've always been, uh, I don't really want to go into it uh, exactly, you know, specifics or anything like that, but talking about uh, salaries and especially uh, as a freelancer, you have to talk about rate all the time. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And being able to explain my worth to someone is almost impossible. I actually, that, that's funny. <laughs> I, I know this from my own personal experience is that um, especially when you're starting out and I don't think there's a lot of good representation out there either in this industry, but you know, I, I, I think I, it's getting better, but I think you're exactly right. That's it, definitely room for And more. so the idea of hosting a show and then also having to go negotiate yeah, and then like, I mean, just speaking from my own experience, okay, maybe I get what I want, yeah. but it was, you know, a week and a half or two weeks of, back and forth emails and yeah. uh, Skype calls. And then I, I okay, I, I got to the fucking tournament, but now I'm totally stressed out. Because uh -huh. <laughs> now I got to go on like, stage. What if you do a crap job? Yeah, right? and then and every like, time, oh no, yeah, I've just I, stolen this paycheck. Ex what yeah, exactly, heck? exactly. And then, and then you can be inside your own head uh, mm -hmm. when you're hosting. Um, I actually I, found like that was the biggest thing. Going from co commentating pro bono to commentating with a dollar sign yeah. That was the most difficult part. Like, you know how you, you had an initial question where you were asking, you know, were you nervous for your first trial? Of course I wasn't. I mean, like, I'm not going to get paid for this, right? Like, this, yeah. isn't, this isn't actually a job. This is just me 
sitting on a broadcast from my bedroom talking about video games. Like that's yeah. not a job. That's just, you know, like what I do for fun. And then this, what I do for fun becomes something I get paid for. And like battling that and coming to terms with what that actually means is really strange. It's weird too, because, um, I mean, a lot of times people do have agents, agents or managers um, in entertainment in general, not so much in esports, at least, especially not for casting. Yeah, not necessarily yet, but I think that's definitely a gap in the market that probably should exist, right? Yeah. Or, like, there are some. There certainly are some uh, esports managers out there. I know uh, uh, there are a few outside of my particular sphere of League of Legends that certainly have been pretty established at this point. And, but I think it, it's a funny thing to try to take that on because... Um, when you're trying to negotiate that on your own, because it is so difficult to both perform, yeah, it, for an organization, and at the same time, be the guy who's hustling them <laughs> backstage. Yeah. Um, now, what about what about public speaking? Did you feel like you were kind of naturally a gifted public speaker, or was this something that you had to learn and overcome and learn to enjoy? Um, no, I've always I've always been. Uh, bit of a public speaker I, I did a bit of debating like very early on in my life but otherwise I've just never found it all that difficult I was always the guy that was up the front of the classroom trying to be a dickhead to be honest that was me just an attention whore screen. oh yeah yeah and I, like, I feel I actually feel very similar about this I yeah I, and it's not necessarily like uh, it sort of has has a bad connotation right but like there are some people that enjoy being in the center of attention, whether or not it's positive or negative, right? Like right. people could be up there making fun of me, but I'm just happy to be involved in whatever's going on, right? Like there are some people that enjoy that. There are some people that don't, right? It's like the introvert extrovert type situation. And uh, I'm extraordinarily extroverted. I basically need to surround myself with people or cats at all times. Otherwise <laughs> I start getting very nervous. Yeah, no, I, I find I'm like a really gregarious person. I really need to be around uh, other people or i just kind of wilt yeah um, yeah yeah and i, 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 I start going insane i start going insane like if i'm yeah. by myself for too long i start questioning all of my actions i'm like uh but i haven't had contact with the outside world yet like maybe <laughs> maybe everything's changed now you know maybe um may, maybe actually eggs uh the new coolest thing ever and i just don't know and uh, that's a really bad example but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> look i think it's 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 interesting to see you know what kind of people want to go on TV. I mean, for me too, because it's like somehow in the back of my head, I thought all these people should listen to what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I should, I should, uh, you know, they should all sit down and listen to me. It's kind of like there's got to be some form of narcissism in it. I mean, oh, I, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And I mean, I, you know, obviously I love StarCraft. I love casting, but I've, I've always thought, God, isn't that a little bit strange? Yeah. Or, you know, a little bit weird that I... I, I, for some reason, don't have something in my brain that would stop myself from doing that. It's weirdly, like, it's narcissism, but in the same way, like, I, I struggled with depression for, like, a really long time. My self-esteem has always been something that I've struggled to keep up, right? So it's not necessarily like I'm overflowing with confidence. It's just if you put a microphone in front of me in a game of League of Legends or, you know, a game of PUBG now, a game of Overwatch, you know, things like this, right? Like... That's where I feel comfortable. That's where my home is. And also, commentary isn't a solo thing, right? It's not like I'm standing up and uh, reciting a monologue or something like that. It's basically me getting free time to have a good conversation with a friend of mine that people then listen to and enjoy. Like, 
you know, that it, sounds great. I don't think it's kind of acknowledged that often, but let's see. A, a, a League of Legends broadcast for you is about four hours, a little bit more, right? Six. Is yeah. it six now? Yeah, two best of threes Jeez. is generally about six hours. Six hours now? Yeah, dude. Wow. Yeah. I, I, my six-hour casts were when StarCraft Two was. Uh, I guess it must have been in Heart of the Swarm. The games were really much longer. Uh, Blizzard kind yeah, of. Yeah. They, they gave um, the players way more workers at the start, which sort of sped, sped the whole process up. Yep. So StarCraft Two games are actually quite um, not short. I'd say like kind of a good amount for TV time with yep. the breaks in there. But and now, now Potting's back playing again, so of course the game's much shorter. Now, now that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, now that he's back, yeah, things are getting a little bit crazier. Um, but you know, to do a live broadcast like that, how many commercial breaks do you guys have? Let's say with a six-hour broadcast, you have... So we have four? one after each game. Okay, so then... So the game's... Maximum, so, minimum. Yeah, so it's a best of three, right? So there might not be a third game. So generally you've got like an hour break, an hour break, and then... If there is a uh, a third game, then you go into another game, and then you have like a twenty minute break, which is like you know longer than than the others. The the breaks in between games within a set, if that makes sense, if everyone's following at home, would be about you know ten to fifteen minutes long, and then you know we get some dinner because you know the show starts at at five p.m. We get some dinner between the series, which the break will be minimum twenty minutes, and then game break, game break game and then we're off that's so sort of how it works that's an extraordinary amount of time to be on <laughs> yeah that's um how do you personally prepare or wh 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 what is a routine i should say before your broadcast after your broadcast what is what does that look like because most um entertainment has nowhere near that amount of, of outage my uh my main strategy is a get enough sleep that is definitely the best one and uh, i haven't always been the best at this in the past i think all of us are guilty of this in the esports industry is uh sleep schedule is really difficult to manage because our work is at a very different time to a lot of other things even if you're working night shift right you actually have to flip a switch where you go from day mode to night mode and right at least there's that distinction whereas we're like semi night shift but not actually and when you're, you know, we, we turn up to the, to the studio at 3 p.m. And then we're live at 5. So I like to sleep until 1 p.m. So that I can be, you know, waking up for a couple of hours, then at the studio for a couple of hours, getting makeup, getting things sorted and ch talking to Papa Smithy or LS, whoever I'm commentating with. And then I'm on the broadcast. I've had my coffee. I'm like good to go. And this is the time where I'm on. This is the time where I would be starting work if I was at a regular nine to five type job, right? Like being able to have that sort of mourning period, which is the wrong, wrong term. M-O-R-N-I-N-G, guys. Not, not, the, not the other kind of mourning period. <laughs> Having that sort of like mourning and then work situation is what i need but i mean that's that's hard to manage right because the night time is when you should be sleeping and then you wake up in the morning and then sometimes you wake up at 9 a.m and you've got a show at five and you're dead by the end of it because our shows end at like what 12 sometimes 11 30 like we have some really long days and it's really hard to be working at max output when it's 11 p.m and you've been awake all day i also find there's um a decompression period that I go through after I've casted. 
Yeah, where yeah, 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 exactly. There's something, so, you know, the, you're shouting a lot uh, when you're casting, which is sort of using certain muscles in your face and your neck, and yeah. um, you're trying to stay kind of hyper-focused on you know, what's a really complex puzzle that's going on the whole time and kind of recite what's happening. Um, but I find that I, I, I'm not good for a conversation for about at least a half hour after I get done. In fact, when I leave, when I'm leaving the studio for GSL, um, you know, I get to meet some of the people that come down uh, to the show. I'm useless. <laughs> These people want to say hi to me um, or get a photo. And I, I barely know what I've said to them. Yeah, I'm totally out of it. I've, I've had periods where um, I've gr- greeted the same person three times, three days in a <laughs> row. I just forgot he was there because I'm so there's some kind of like mental release, like I'm untethering stuff and it's hard for me to uh, I can be social later on in the night, but I definitely have some kind of period where I have to boot up and then yeah. turn myself back off like system shutdown. The way I see it is like when the camera turns off my brain turns off with it. Yeah. Because I don't need it to be on, right? Like, that's my job over. That's that's what I need to do done. And then afterwards, like, you can have half of the brain. Because I have the same thing. It's sort of like the cool down time that you need afterwards. And mine honestly lasts for the rest of the night most of the time. Then I go to sleep and wake up and do it again. And another one I found, tell me if this is similar for you, is I absolutely cannot have anybody give me bad news right before I go live. <laughs> Oh I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Oh my god! What? I, I mean, if you're I, fighting with a girlfriend oh or something like that, it's god. like the biggest or, disaster. Yeah, or I've, ever. I've had I've had moments where someone just says something like just the wrong thing, or brought yep. some some yeah, yeah. stupid problem, and, and right before I went live, and and how that can shoot me onto this trajectory because I'm I'm trying to be someone for the audience the entire time. Yeah, and if somebody kind of messes with that for me that kind of boot up process you know the the you know an hour or two before i go live i i just i feel like it can really throw me off i think i if, even if i feel thrown off i can hide it well yeah yeah yeah. but i i, mean, I have a is a rule with you know whether i'm you know in, in a relationship or just people i work with or, or anybody is is I, I nobody can fuck with me before i go live because it's just it makes my job 10 times harder yeah, and there's also th- another thing to to talk about in along those lines is feedback, right? And this is something that uh, you've you've probably had, you know, during BlizzCon and things like that, where there are a lot of commentators all working together in the same uh, for the same show. Generally, we want to be able to like give each other constructive criticism, right? In right. this job, that's really delicate. It's really delicate to do because a everyone has gigantic egos. Because that's just the people that get drawn into this job. It's a it's part of the package. It's what happens. We've accepted it. It's fine. But also, everyone's really like we all thrive on confidence. We all thrive exactly what you're talking about, right? Like you can't be tilted before you go on a show because you need to be emotionally balanced to give the best product. And so it's really hard to know when like someone's doing something that's really wrong and they're repeating themselves over and over again with this particular issue, you have to go in and tell them that this is a problem, but you can't do it in a way that's going to break them mentally if they've still got more of a show to do. Like, yeah, it's such a delicate uh, tightrope that you have to walk it's, with that it's sort of issue. It's tricky too right? because you've got feedback 
that is sometimes there's the feedback is very good. Sometimes it's not helpful. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I've had these. I'm talking about constructive right. criticism. But, but yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, and then of course you have the whole problem with people. Some people who can't take constructive yeah. criticism, and you yeah. think, okay, this is really tough. It's actually I'm more working people on, on the planet than you'd expect. Right, but especially in a in a high pressure environment. Yeah, you know, if you if you say to somebody. And in a high hey, ego man, environment, right? The right. people that thrive off their confidence, like their self-confidence, in order to create a good show, right? If they get like negative criticism, that's not going to help them. And also they're going to lash out because they're an opinionated person. Right? I, I've also found this interesting is um, people's relationships with their phones. Well, actually with Twitter is what I mean. With Twitter. And Reddit, yeah. Uh, and Reddit as broadcasts are going on because... Now, I personally, and I don't know why I'm like this. Part of me wants to say because I've just done it for a long time, or maybe I'm older or something. Mm. I, I'm not. I don't need really good feedback on the internet. Like I like my first two years, I broadcasted. I would read every Team Liquid thread and go through the whole thing. Yeah, and I would be like, "Oh, they like me." It was like some kind of a drug. Oh, they like, and then you get to the the, the, the guy who's written five paragraphs talking about how you fucking suck. <laughs> you, oh, and you just you plummet down, and then yeah, you, you you're you know you feel crazy, and um, and and you know eventually I I, I kind of cut myself off for a period of my career from all of that reading like anything because I couldn't. When you feel like you're yeah. a slave to the eggs on Twitter, that's when you know right. something has gone and wrong. Now, um. I mean, I'm 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 fine. I, I don't have the issue of tweeting back and arguing with people, but I I've, I've worked gigs with people where I see okay, someone had a bad cast, yeah. right? They were off. They made a bad call. Um, and to be honest, everyone they, has bad days. Yeah, right? and, you and can that's be the thing. best in your industry, and you will always have an off day. This is why we see you know some of the best pro gamers or the best teams occasionally lose in big upsets. Okay, they had a bad yeah. day. Well, a caster can have that too, but um, what you can end up with is a situation where. This person, okay, you fumbled, yeah. When you were hosting that, and maybe a thread pops up on Reddit or or or, or the you know um, keyboard warriors on on Twitter start to go to you. And I've seen some people really almost self destruct. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a there's a lot I, in uh in the League of Legends sphere that actually have a bit of an issue with this as well. And yeah, I and I've, I've I've seen this with with people in in my sphere as well, and people I've worked with. I think, okay, man, that's a that's a guy. You don't know who that guy is. Who's talking to you on Twitter? But I think yeah. one of the biggest problems is the fact that a lot of uh, employers for commentators don't really know how to objectively create a uh, an opinion on a commentator, right? Because it's yeah. a very subjective thing, right? Like, we all have fans and we all have people that don't like what we do. That's just naturally what happens when people either like the sound of our voice, they like our particular sense of humor. Like, it's just... It comes down to basic human nature where people will hate you and people will like you. That's just how life is and you have to deal with it. But the problem with uh, trying to hire a commentator based on their merit, right? And based on how good they are, people are looking at pretty much experience only, which is why you see not a lot of new commentators making right. their way into the scene, right? Because how the heck do you get yourself that kind of experience in this industry where experience is what gets you a job. I mean, I think it's a problem in a whole lot of other industries as well. Like, how do you actually work out whether or not this person yeah. is good or not? Experience begets experience. And yeah, then but you, have you, you actually... monopolize that. But you have these uh, situations where employers will actually look at Reddit to work out whether or not this person should be commentating a final that? or... 
blah 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 i know that i like i haven't been uh a part of riot as a, a riot employee for quite some time right so it's uh it wasn't since 2016, end of 2016, that I actually left the company to come and work for OGN here and uh, for the LCK. So I don't know whether it's the same way, but I know that there was a lot of conversations about how the heck we're going to work out who deserves to do this. And looking at Reddit was a strategy because there honestly weren't that many better ones, right? Like, right. it's really hard to come up with a better way to look at a commentator and understand exactly how the community sentiment is about said commentator. So you go to social media, you go to Reddit, you go to places where there are loud voices that are telling you what the community thinks or what they think the community thinks, right? Like, unless you're going to be like, I don't know, making a poll in Twitch chat during a show or something like that, it's really hard to sort of understand. So part of the reason why a lot of uh, commentators do struggle so much with looking at their phones all the time is because they know that this could directly impact their career even if it's just some keyboard warrior that has a beef right like even if they're just saying some random stuff because they're unhappy with their own lives and they just want to you know trash on someone for saying something slightly off or blah 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 but you would you agree that there's some degree of a difference between a reddit thread that says fuck this guy and it's got a bunch of upvotes and there's comments yeah, I, yeah. I, you know i don't because you know some of those threads can be so awful <laughs> yeah um where you you know you'll see somebody just getting torn a- absolutely apart. Reamed, yeah. and you're thinking oh and sometimes you're going okay that's not fair or yeah. that's not even what that person said um but it kind of it becomes like this this hurricane uh, uh, uh of toxicity but i mean it's, but there is a difference from that between you know some guy on twitter um or girl, or whoever, whoever is the the individual who's who's kind of accosting you. Because I've seen both. I've seen threads that come up, and you know, it, it's it's a four day event, and that person's pretty pretty messed up, you know, by it. And you yeah. know, can they kind of pull it together? And you know, or um, you know, people just unable to handle just strangers on the internet kind of uh, coming out and, and 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 attacking them. Yeah. Like the problem with uh, Reddit is that it can get so much traction, right? And everyone's like, everyone's on that karma train. Is yeah, what it's it feels got this like circle a little jerky bit. Like mechanic the, to it. Yeah, that. that's the like the 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 whole thing of like Reddit circle jerk is a bit of a meme, but it's actually something that just is naturally bred from the way that it works, right? And yeah. so the the issue with it is that you just see like all of these upvotes that happen on these negative threads, right? Every one of those numbers is someone that's clicked this this arrow, right? And so you're looking at a statistic of the amount of human beings that don't like you. Yeah, if you're looking yeah. at it. Like and it can be difficult to comprehend, but when your brain starts thinking about it, it makes you really sad. It's uh yeah, yeah. it's just the reality of the situation. It's it's interesting too, because I find very little on the internet can bother me as much anymore. Um, and I felt like a lot of kind of me getting raised up and kind of I did Starcraft one and then people really liked me and I think there was periods where everybody got tired of me in Starcraft one and then I remember that, there was like a weird and, negativity phase I remember yeah, that. yeah and, and and you know it it not even just for me but it happens with casters you know you're, yeah, you're trying a certain style I of work casting. with LS like yeah come on man <laughs> yeah. um are you trying you know are you, are you being uh, analytical enough are you being hype enough are you over hyping 
And I feel like, you know, when you do this form of entertainment, uh, I kind of view it the way that, you know, people, stand-up comedians view their profession where um, it really helps to just go out there and bomb. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah, I think like, so. I, I absolutely, like, I feel like for where I'm at now, I'm so much, I'm so totally comfortable in my own skin casting. I, I But I only got there because... I bomb so much or you have to be you, comfortable with being shit on. That, yeah. That's, that's yeah. where you, that's where you have to get to. You have to get to the point where you can make a mistake. Someone can call you out on it and then the rest of the world can see it and you have to deal with it. And you know, whether or not that's going to involve you having to make an apology or something like that. I mean, that's, that's okay. But being okay with being criticized is extraordinarily important and i think that that comes to every commentator at a specific point i think and every everyone who's in this profession sort of knows that time that humbling moment where their ego got out of control and they got knocked back down to reality um thankfully for me it happened very early in my career and i had uh chris papa smithy smith actually help uh lighten the blow uh, I guess. Oh, really? When I first got like, cause, oh man, I, I had a huge ego problem because you know how like you first get into this and you're like, yeah, I can take over the world. I'm the best commentator alive. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get one of these gigs. And I was like, I was talking to Chris or I was talking to someone and I was just whinging. I was just whinging. Oh, really? Like, I'm like, I'm better than these other people. I should be. And Chris is like, you have nowhere near the experience. I don't know why you thought that you'd ever be considered over X other person you really got to get a handle of yourself. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Yeah. And so I instead went and worked for free at this event, just handing out lanyards to kids <laughs> as my form of self-punishment. Wow. That, was, uh, that was the way I worked it out. Yeah, I uh, I remember uh, me and Dan had this whole weird thing where you know we had been out here in Korea doing StarCraft 1 for a long time. You know, We yeah, were out yeah. here for years um, waiting basically for StarCraft 2. We were like sleeper cell agents. Yeah, I remember like, that time. Basically saying, okay, if this, if this, if we've talked to enough companies, we're going to have something going. <laughs> you know, there's going to be something to work out. Um, and we were, you know, we were well known in StarCraft 1 because we were the only yeah. foreign guys around here doing this. But when uh, StarCraft 2, when the show came out, and this is something I found very interesting about any new game, is you realize all these people who don't play said game or know anything about it show up on forums and start talking about yeah how it works and uh, i mean the truth is they just genuinely don't know what they're talking about <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i mean artos and i were dealing with people on forums saying who the fuck are these guys Do they even play starcraft who are they and i'm really thinking <laughs> we're in the forums going what yeah who the fuck are you <laughs> but you know it, it, it would make us crazy we thought well like this doesn't sound like husky starcraft <laughs> who's this guy oh no that was a perfect example who, why is husky not there we're like well, I mean, nothing against him, but we were in Korea for three years, three yeah. and a half years. We've been getting ready for this the whole time. Um, that's an interesting thing because one thing about feedback online is is it's not always helpful. Or one person says something, and that can almost become like a virus that spreads. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the amount of times I've seen on Reddit, for instance, uh, one comment about a particular insider thing that I know is not right. Yeah. I say, okay, that. Whoever wrote that, I see how they speculated this, but that's not true. And then I'll see it repeated. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, 
because of the way you know the um, uh, an upvote ecosystem is, is then that false thing because maybe the publisher won't come out and correct it, the tournament organizer won't. If it's gossip about a professional gamer, yeah, you know, some people I think feel obligated to have their whole life on the internet, um, and and, and answer to everybody on the internet. Other people I think don't, but you know, if, if if someone doesn't come out and correct that, and maybe they shouldn't have to, you can end up with the internet just talking about something. That's completely, that's completely false. false. Yeah. That's completely false. And then, and um, you also, there's not a lot you can do about it because oftentimes, you know, in this sort of gig, we sign an NDA when we go and do something. Right. So you can't write anything. We on the literally internet. can't do anything. And then people are directly asking us questions. We're like, oh, I'm, oh I don't want to get fired. And I also don't want to look like I'm hiding something. This is really awkward and confusing. Can, can you look something up, Melty? I think it's called the, the gel man effect, something like that. Uh, I'll, He'll pull it up for us here. And then um, it, it basically is the idea that so you can read an article in the news about something that you're an expert on. Yeah. And then and I know this definitely happened to you in esports because I know it's happened to me. But you'll read an article and, and see, OK, they got most of it wrong. <laughs> you know, you read it. and You yeah. say they got the type of game. I mean, really basic stuff. The type of game it was. I mean, this happened uh, just but, recently with Detective Pikachu, the guy that said that Bulbasaur can't be a agenda and that uh psyduck is always a, a male or something like that oh it's i don't i don't know anything wrong. about this yeah it's I, I read a couple of days ago i don't know let me read this up. apparently that was an expert that was on set every day oh really <laughs> yeah it's uh the gel man amnesia effect describes the phenomenon of an expert believing news articles on topics outside of their field of expertise even after acknowledging that articles written in the same publication uh that are written in the expert field of expertise are aired written and full of misunderstanding so yeah I could read an article about esports, and they get everything wrong. Yeah, and then but you could read the another next article about Syria. Guy, oh my it's god! About Syria, and I go, okay. Well, then, then I'll go back to being like, okay, everything is is fine then. So that's what's happening in Syria. We can call that but, like the Buzzfeed effect, can't we? Something like that. Yeah, where where you have an article that comes out, I'll I'll, I'll take the news and, and and say, okay, this is all really interesting. Yeah. And then when they write about my one thing, I say, okay, it's wrong, but the rest of the stuff must be right. Yeah. I feel like there must be so much misinformation out there on the internet. Yeah. I like to think with, that I like to think that that happens as well with Onion News. I like to think that, that some does happen with Onion News. People believe it? Yeah, there are people oh out there God, that actually so Onion good. and Clickhold uh, some I know somebody um who is like a, a friend of the family who shared some Onion article on Facebook. And I went, "Oh no." Oh. Um that's like getting rickrolled but you're rickrolling yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, this is the uh Melody's pulling it up now. It's uh our ate the onion. This is an entire subreddit of people <laughs> who are sharing articles. Oh my god, that's being so offended good. or uh just basically believing that the onion is is real news. Oh my god, it's beautiful. That is perfect. Hey, everybody, we're taking a quick little break here um, in the recording. I'm going to plug the Patreon here. Uh, we have 35 people supporting us on Patreon right now. One is Wisecracks, um, a map maker, a, a buddy of mine. Uh, he's actually paying 100 a month, and so he's really supporting us a lot. That's why I'm saying his name here in the podcast. Um, if we get to 100 supporters total, uh, we'll be doing an AMA. So I hope you guys do consider if you have – the extra cash. If you really like this show and want to see more stuff like it, um, support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash tasteless podcast. If we get to a hundred um, Patreons, uh, you can ask as, you know, as many questions as you want. We'll assemble an AMA and put that out. Uh, now back to the show. So I, I want to talk to you about um, Riot, uh, if, if I can, because I'm super interested 
in where they are uh, as a company now? Because it seems like League is doing really stable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's actually... um. We went through a, a phase where a lot of uh, a lot of us were worried, you know, because Overwatch happened, right? Now Overwatch League is super huge. Uh, PUBG really, uh, really took off, especially here and in, uh, in, uh, in Southeast Asia and in China. Um, so, you know, we, we we got a little bit frightened that maybe uh, League of Legends would be knocked down, but uh, it's it's stood the test of a whole bunch of new titles coming out and uh, not really detracting too much from the viewer base that is League of Legends Esports. So right now it's feeling pretty stable, but there were certainly some times where it was like, oh no, this new game Heroes of the Storm's coming out. Oh no, this new game Overwatch is coming out. Like, am I going to have a job next week? Like those sort of things uh, have been happening the whole time, but they really have uh, been few and far between over the last uh, year and a half or something like that. Because StarCraft Two, that was the beginning of the global esports bubble. And then the League yeah. of Legends only super expanded that. Yeah. Uh, and continued to grow. I mean, I shouldn't say bubble. I should say boom. Uh, yeah. There are some people that are saying that we're in a bubble right now, but we were definitely part of the boom. Yeah. And then there was this period in time where, you know, because, I, look, I was in tournaments where League of Legends was on the side stage. Yeah, and, no, I know. I remember. I watched them. Yeah. And I was watching the StarCraft. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and And... And people kept going, this game's not going to take off. Because from an RTS game perspective, you'd say, you don't even control the whole army. Yeah, exactly. You control yeah. one guy. Um, well, those people were wrong. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, as League of Legends got big, suddenly there became this mass hysteria of everybody saying StarCraft II is going to die. Like, it is yeah. going to go away. The pro gamers are going to disappear. The tournaments are going to vanish. Uh, some people are even saying that the servers would shut down. I mean, this is like, you know, we're all going to be eating out of you know, eating canned beans because the nuclear war happened and it, it's it's over. And um, what initially I was I, I was it kind of bummed me out and it was weird to see people talking like that. And of course, yeah, we're, we're going into almost nine years of StarCraft two and the games the viewership is actually quite good. Yeah, uh, and we had an amazing World Finals where Serral won a non-Korean one. Um, so the game's fine. But what's weird is I thought StarCraft was the only game that that kind of talk was going to happen in. Yeah. yeah and then it started to happen in League, and it started to happen in Dota, mm -hmm. and this whole thing of our game is going to die. To, to, I mean, There's about, only been one game that's actually died so far, and that's Heroes of the Storm. Yeah, yeah. Pretty I mean, sure. well, here's the crazy thing. You know what Africa TV is doing now, right? Yeah, they're, they're they got the Heroes of the Yeah, 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 so Super they've got it cool. crowdfunded. Um, so even that game, and by the way, they fill the studio up. Yeah. Um, so, well, like Heroes of the Storm, like you may not know, uh, viewers at home, uh, what Heroes of the Storm was like here in Korea, but there was a massive boom of Heroes of the Storm, scene, right? Yeah. And we had some of the best players. Like we often had the two best teams in the finals, things like that. Like, uh, Heroes of the Storm in Korea was actually a bit of a sensation just because Blizzard is such a huge name here, right? Like given the fact that this was the beginning of StarCraft Esports, surely Blizzard's probably going to have some sort of pull, right? So if you if you put that tag there, it sort of means Esports. That's why the following for Overwatch was also so incredibly huge here in Korea uh, back when we had Apex and, you know, Lunatic High and Runaway and teams like that that were, were so incredibly big. So I find it really interesting that they would cancel Heroes of the Storm Esports globally yeah, and they nobody... still had markets. Like that—that's the thing that confused me a little bit. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I I want to avoid just being some guy who's, you know, it's like is someone from Blizzard listening to this. Yeah, like, be like this is the Joe no, Man effect. Like, yeah, no, you're, we literally an, odd. Like, Tasis is an idiot. Allow me to type <laughs> up my Reddit thread right here's, now. Here's what I here's what, here's what I would say right now. Um, I, I I I so it's complicated. The way I would look at it is, um, you know, Activision and Blizzard have merged together. Yeah. Um, Activision, I think, has more say uh, over Blizzard. And I um, think financial say and, and, is the thing. And I think, and that's you know, thing. Riot and they, Tencent was a similar merger, right? The, Where, yeah, they have to answer yeah. to the board. Now, there's some, um, I think, fair critique of this is, do you make games for your players or games for the board? Because there yeah. are ways that you can make a game and make more money off of it and then lose... Oh, hold on a second. So this is an announcement in my building. Hold on. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I get announced. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very Orwellian, but uh, occasionally Whoa, <laughs> the speaker man. will come on. So we'll just. I'm, I'm, I'm half we'll expecting just someone with a flying car to pull up to the this window. This is where this, this Activision in my, in my speakers right now. <laughs> <laughs> Put the mic down. Yeah. Um, you yeah. are coming with so, us. So, We're not in financial <laughs> control of Blizzard. Blah, blah, blah. So just, let's let this one. Let's let this wow, one run it its goes course. for ages, huh? dude. Huh? No, you can keep this in here. Yeah, this no, is, this, this is funny. This is prime entertainment material, yeah, this is, Melty. So, yeah, the, the announcement comes on. They're usually pretty good about it. It's around this time they have one that's kind of early in the... Really? You have the, them daily? Not daily, but, you know, there's something like there's a... They're doing something with the elevator or the window cleaners mm. are going to come. Please shut your windows. Uh, occasionally, I'm hungover in here and it, it starts up and I lay in, in bed with bloodshot yeah. eyes staring at the ceiling <laughs> waiting for this fucking announcement to get yeah. through. This is... Uh, this is a feature in big apartment buildings. Right. They have I so haven't much... moved up to that yet. I'm still in one of the villa buildings. So not I quite like it. I just saw you. You got a good place. I you love my place, man. Um, I am, I'm not uh, speaking down to it at all, but I've only got five stories and you've got a few extra numbers. <laughs> so uh, to what I was saying before, we have a, um, a situation I think we're... Okay, so Heroes of the Storm was not... At least eSports was not making money. Yeah, okay. and actually, now, I, I want to address something that you mentioned a little while ago before yeah. it becomes completely irrelevant. Sure, sure. But when esports was first becoming a thing, right, people saw esports in the same category. And I like to call this like bad brain database management. Does that make sense? Where you've got people thinking of it like you've got hockey fans, basketball fans, football fans, and esports fans. And so there's only one demographic here in esports. And so esports has to hold everyone that wants to watch people playing video games. And therefore, you have this mentality where if you're not the best game, you're a dead game. Because why would you watch the other games if there's a game over here that's better? Because yeah, everyone just likes all of the games. And that was, that was this weird hive mind mentality when esports first began. And it was like, we have to be the best, otherwise no one will watch us. When actually you've got traditional sports over here and esports over here, and then all of these titles are different people that like different games, that like different genres, that like all sorts of different things, you know? So people had the wrong idea of what esports sort of was when it first happened because it was so new. And that, you know, you can't you can't blame us. And like a lot of a lot of my friends and myself included were frightened of like things taking over my particular game because it was a time of change everyone's frightened change is the scariest thing for a human being ever it's also funny though because okay so first of all that first thing you were saying 
that's been a problem with the way metrics have been represented in esports. Yeah, is people go esports is this big? It's that's like saying sports yeah, exactly, or people that watch you know TV or you know it, it's yeah. okay. Well, this is you know um, as big as as league is or or um, you know, CS:GO or whatever. That's still a section. It's a cut of exactly. the pie. If you don't like CSI Miami, you're not going to just stop watching TV forever. Like, yeah, that's, that's sort of well, how that well, sort and of it, works. It, not, not even just that, but it, the, the idea that you know, um, the smaller market shares of, of the esports pie are not worthwhile is another interest one I've found. Is this problem where you have the, the we have to be the biggest mentality? Yeah, the, the, some of the problems that can that can come with that is that nothing's ever the biggest. No, but not not forever. No, you know, and so and so you end up. Does that mean that everything is supposed to be temporary? You shouldn't be aiming to be the biggest. You should be aiming to be sustainable. Right. That's what you should be aiming for. Well, this can go back into what we were mentioning with Heroes of the Storm. Is it seems like, and like I, I'm going to say this again because a, a lot of times people think I'm actually like a Blizzard employee because they see me casting StarCraft all the time. Yeah, and yeah. um, uh, you know, at, at the WCS events and stuff like that, and. It's sort of assumed. Oh, this is, I, I, this is Blizzard taste. This is this. Here. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's not. I'm, I'm a contractor. Um, even though I work almost exclusively with Blizzard titles, um, but from what I've understood is that you know that esports, uh, model that they built for it, it was they, they were operating at a loss that I guess they felt was too much to justify, mm-hmm. and um, I guess they got in a really weird position because they had that big. This is all public knowledge, by the way, but they had that big summit w- where they invite all the influencers down there and kind of see what their plans yeah, yeah, are. I remember that. And then had this whole thing presented. Right, did a very and, similar thing, and actually, I think one yeah. of the reasons why Blizzard had done this to begin with, because they do this with StarCraft and with other games down there. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think with if you're with Riot, you're kind of, since they have one game they do, it's everybody's on the same page. But, you know, when you have multiple different titles that are out there, um, if your game's not the biggest, you might assume that you're going to get pushed to the background. But basically, they had this big announcement. Um, oh, oh th- thank you, Melty. I- I'm, let me just finish this one point, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on this. Um, the uh, problem was that... Well, I'm sorry, I'm losing my, tra- I'm losing my train of thought. What, what was I saying? Oh, oh the- they had this big summit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they had kind of reassured everybody that this was going to continue on to the next year. And then two months later, they canned the whole project and ended the tournament. Yeah, talking about Heroes of the Storm. Heroes right? of the Storm, and, yeah. And uh, sort of how how it was handled. And I think that uh, even Blizzard didn't know until very short notice that things weren't going to work. Because I had uh, personal friends that were deeply affected by this in Korea and back in Australia. I Same. knew all of the, the Heroes commentators were actually just coming out of their shells. It was actually really, really sad. Because uh, yeah, uh, some really close friends of mine uh, from back in Australia who I'd known for a long time that have a lot of talent were following this game, right? And we cling to a game, right? Because you, with especially you know MOBAs and StarCraft as well, like you need to know build orders that have been around for like seven years, right? Like you need to know a deep history in case someone brings something back or blah blah blah. So in in Heroes of the Storm, these people had put in so much time, so much effort into learning how the meta has evolved over time. Like, who was strong back here? When Abatha comps worked? Like, back when Illidan was strong, and now he's not anymore, and now we've got Medivh in every single game, and blah, blah, blah. Like, 
these are people that have dedicated extraordinarily high hours into this one game and then all of a sudden it just goes poof and it's over and it's even worse because these people were getting better these people were actually becoming the forefront of their craft be it in here in Korea, uh, Wolf Schroeder, a, a perfect example of this. Thankfully, he's over in Overwatch League doing fantastically well. But his, uh, I really loved watching his his Heroes of the Storm commentary because Heroes here in Korea was the best that you could watch. And then uh, back in Oceania, we were starting to send uh, some of our, our, pl- our commentators overseas to things like BlizzCon and things like that in order to, to get their, them some extra exposure. And then the year afterwards, the whole thing's canned. And I don't think that, I don't think that Blizzard as a company would have done that on purpose, right? I don't think that they would have intentionally just shafted a large portion of their influences at the same time. I think that something unexpected happened and they had to make a change, which is, I think, uh, where we can go back to what you were talking about with, you know, Activision and things like that, where the money starts to become an issue and when the bottom line doesn't match up then you can lose things like uh an entire growing industry even if it wasn't necessarily growing quickly but i was looking at heroes of the storm slowly but surely getting up and up and up right like they weren't getting the tens of thousands of viewers but each time there was like an extra 500 more and like it was slowly getting to be something that has carved out a niche here's a question um I know that you pulled that thing up, Melty, but can you check something else for me too? When did CSGO actually take off as an eSport? Because that game came out very quietly. Counter-Strike's been out for, I mean, yeah. in several iterations over and over, but CSGO was out for a while, and I felt like it just kind of steadily grew. And actually, I don't know I, if it's, if this is counterintuitive to the, to the way that Blizzard's model is of sort of, I don't know. I mean, is that like a list of... Uh, I think we need to Events. scroll to the bottom of that one there, Melty. Yeah, that's what I mean. And so let's go up just a little bit. And so 2014, when it was like ESL1 Cologne, right? I, I think it's probably uh, a lot older than that. But I think that what CSGO did is they took all of the Quake esports and all of the old FPS esports and turned it into you know turned everyone into csgo fans right because i feel like csgo is the original way to fully enjoy fps esports yeah well just counter-strike in general i mean that was the first game where basically multiplayer wise when you when you were shot you died um or you know quake you'd be eating eating missiles (laughs) in the face and yeah go pick up armor yeah you're gonna die yeah yeah but um yeah, you know, with, with the Heroes thing, I, I wonder if they could have done something differently with it. The, I guess the other problem is it sends a bad message when they do let that go because that sort of yeah, I mean, how, causes what, a ripple effect of insecurity. It, right? Not even just with other Blizzard titles, but just in general. Yeah. Because if Blizzard will do it, then that means other companies will, will copy it. Um, you know, take, no, take, take your time. Um, I, I am wondering um, what your take is on Riot releasing another title. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I, I actually don't know what you know, but you know, they did purchase this fighting game. Its name is suddenly um, 
escaping me, but they purchased a fighting game. I remember when the purchase happened. Yeah. Um, and Seth Killian is there. I don't, are you familiar with Seth Killian at all? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he was... Uh, I He's followed, one of my favorite Street Fighter commentators. Yeah, I, I followed his career for a long time. Yeah, He's a really smart guy, really good commentator. And um, he's working over there. So, uh, Thankfully, they still let him commentate Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool that they do that, too. I, I, I just, I, I wonder, um, what do you think, if Riot does do a, some kind of a fighting game, what, what kind of future do, do you think that is uh, for them? I think it's actually really weird territory, right? Because I think yes. that the, the fighting game community, like the FGZ as a whole, is something that's very different to everything else in esports so how riot's going to find a way to actually even if they can penetrate that kind of market which is built on like it's almost like a school of hard knocks type situation because everyone in the fighting game community clawed their way towards becoming something you know like and the fighting game community had to fight tooth and nail to be able to create their own tournaments and you know companies like capcom have only recently started uh, really fully backing these type tournaments and things like that. And thankfully now we've got Evo, we've got Capcom Cup working as well. But that's that should have been a long time ago because Street Fighter has been around for eons in the esports hemisphere, right? So how there haven't been like uh, more of these sort of like uh, widely broadcast tournaments is, uh, is a little bit ridiculous. And like, thankfully, you know, things like E-League have happened now and like they've got more exposure on TV and things like that. But the fighting game community is, some, is somewhere where everyone sort of is really proud of what they've built. And when, also, you, when you try and be the new guy on the block in a situation like that, it's really, really hard. It's also one of these things where you have two very different worlds that ended up making fighting, well, making the fighting games as, as in the titles themselves. And then the scene in the West is you have Japanese companies yeah. made, let's just take Street Fighter, let's take Capcom, right? Um, they've had historically a very different attitude on esports. In yeah. fact, in fact, you uh, you couldn't have tournaments there for a long time because it was viewed as gambling. Right. Okay. And so you have that. So there's sort of a weird degree of inaccessibility. Where yeah. Korea's the laws were different. They were able to get this thing off the ground and do it really well. And then you have in the West an attitude of rejection of esports. Yeah. This is a kid's culturally. Thing, like, yeah. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Or this is fake. Or um, they don't get us. I mean. If you guys are listening to this, definitely listen to my um, podcast with Gerald. That's episode three. Yeah, this is definitely a, a precursor for going back and watching that if you haven't already. Yet. Because it was very interesting getting his take on it and kind of his interpretation of, of, of the different scenes. Because it seems like if Riot's going to move in uh, to this territory... Now, granted, Riot's a mammoth company that could absolutely And move also, mountains. nothing's been confirmed. They've also brought right. a whole lot of other companies from right. all sorts of other genres, like... A lot of the best MMO uh, developers uh, have gone over there, like Ghostcrawler, for example, who went over from Blizzard and is now working on League of Legends. They've got like this R&D that's sort of like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory that's just yeah. getting bigger and bigger. And uh, just sorry, guys, I don't know anything about Game 2. I'm doing uh, quotation marks here, even though you can't see them, but... I don't know anything. It's been a while since I've been an actual. I'm like he winked at me, guys. He didn't do quote marks. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but like, it's 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 really hush hush, even inside the company itself. Like, yeah, I, I promise you. Like, yeah, they're they're doing their very best not to have any sort of leaks. I uh, there was, you know, like 
There's been a few failed attempts at games that they wanted to get off the ground but didn't get them off the ground fast enough and sort of missed that market opportunity, things like that. There's all those sort of whisperings that have happened, but no one knows what the next game is going to be. But every month that it's not there, the expectation only grows. It's it's funny too because people, I think, on the internet a lot of times will assume, oh, Blizzard is this or Riot is this, or Valve is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or Capcom is... When you see how big these companies are and how, like, you can have an entire development team quarantined off. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah, other, yeah. the rest of the company doesn't see that. And also, you can have entire development teams quarantined off sort of together as well. Like, sorry, separately from, like, within their own sort of unique quarantines. And I think that's what, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, the R&D is when you're looking for the next big thing, right? You can have lots of separate, like different ones that even can't talk to each other and things like that. Like it's it's real crazy when you get to, to numbers and to success levels as high as games like, uh, you know, World of Warcraft, for example, and League of Legends. They're going to be pouring so much money into the company and what they use it for is a lot of these like creating new IPs and finding the next step for, for what they want to do. And uh, Blizzard, at least, you know, got off their ass. They did <laughs> Overwatch. And uh, Overwatch was successful. And now Overwatch League is huge. Like, that's super cool. Think, I find it difficult gonna... to, to follow, but like, I don't, you know, that's neither here nor there. All right, let's, let's talk about Overwatch League while we're here. What, what is your take on that? That franchise's future as a game, as an esport? I think I mean, it's, for, for, oh. for you doing Riot games, I mean, I'm sure you don't work at Riot. You're doing a Riot game. Yeah, okay? and I, I also the, the commentated same with, uh, Overwatch for, for a year and a half as well. So but where do you think it's future? Because, because you are primarily the same way. That, I mean, I've done yeah, other yeah, games yeah. and no, other no, shows. I, I know what you mean. But I'm, I am essentially associated with uh, StarCraft. As someone who does League at Riot, how do you see Overwatch in its future? Overwatch is a really interesting one. For me, just because Blizzard has pushed it so incredibly hard. And it was the first game, I think, of its kind that came out with the intention of being an esport. It's almost like it was forced to be an esport. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and what has happened with uh, most other esports titles that exist, right? They've been brought out as a game that people are supposed to play. And then people have found avenues to make this something that people enjoy watching. Whereas Overwatch came out with the distinct idea of becoming the next eSport. And I don't know whether the experiment is necessarily a success, but they've definitely poured a lot of money into it and they do get the viewership to back it up. And the sponsorships are definitely there. And I think the structure is definitely good. But part of uh, the fear that I had uh, for Overwatch League was... That fear that you got as a kid when you were making a SimCity city and you pause it at the very beginning. You pause it at the very beginning. You cheat to give yourself heaps of money and you build all, your, all of your roads and you get your residential area <laughs> in a specific location. You get your industrial over here. You've got your commercial sorted out. You've, you've figured everything out. You've put it all down there, but nothing's actually moving yet, right? Yeah. So your foundations in your mind are exactly where they need to be. And then for me, sometimes, like, I press the go button and, like, no one would show up. 
to, to, to my city and, and, and it wouldn't work. So like that was the fear for me when Overwatch yeah, first they, they came had out. to lay a lot of pipe yeah, before that thing exactly. before they turned the switch on. Exactly, exactly. And it makes it it makes it difficult. And uh thankfully for, for Overwatch fans, like it did actually work, right? And and the first year, like I, I, I remember playing it for the first time. I was like, this is so chaotic. I can't follow this at all. Like how is this supposed to be an esport? And then I had to sit down and figure out how to commentate it. And look, it was difficult. There were memes born from how difficult I found it at the beginning of my Overwatch commentary career. Uh, you can look that up if you want to. I'm not going to repeat it because I'm sick of taking shit for it. Uh, <laughs> but eventually, I figured it out, right? And then there were, you know, compositional situations and, and actual, like... I think what makes a good eSport is having translatable skill expression on the screen that's digestible. Does that make sense? Like being able to <clears throat> let's uh let's take fighting games for an example here. Uh if you look back at Daigo's super play, where he parries every one of Chun Li's kicks in her super and then cancels supers out of death at the end, like with a sliver of health. You're watching that and you could have no idea what Street Fighter is about, but you know that that is a damn cool thing to do. And I think that's what makes an esport great is when a moment of brilliance is digestible by an audience. And uh, for StarCraft and for League of Legends, it's actually a little bit more difficult because the skill, I, I guess, the skill floor for being able to appreciate it is way higher than that of a fighting game. But Overwatch for me was so chaotic, I was wondering how the heck you're supposed to spectate this in a way where you could see the cool stuff that people are doing. And uh, that's something that uh, thankfully they've worked on. And now the spectate client is much better in Overwatch. So I, uh, I find now watching Overwatch, I can, I can appreciate it. But it was uh, looking a bit touch and go at the beginning there. Yeah, it, Overwatch is... It wasn't the game for me when it came out. I found that I would... If I really am into a game, I'll have this thing where as I wake up in the morning... That's the first thing I want to do. Yeah. Like, not check my phone, um, <laughs> not brush my teeth right away, <laughs> wake up and get on my computer and at least load it up, you know, maybe play a game and then even start as, as, as a normal human. Yeah. That doesn't mean that if I like a game, that's what every morning it looks like. <laughs> but you know that, that, that the moment when... If yeah, you can that, get that obsession, computer, that obsession yeah, moment, right? And, yeah. and you're excited and you're thinking, okay, it's like I got the whole day off. Let, let's just – I didn't have that with Overwatch, but, it, I mean, I'm not as an individual important in this in, in this matter because the question is how many people do like it? Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of other games that – like I didn't think I like Hearthstone at all, and I totally got into that. Oh, me too. Um, but I'm rooting for it because <laughs> there is a lot of concern in the industry that if this doesn't work – that it can knock esports back as a whole. Well, this is the problem, right? And this and, is this goes go back ahead. to what we were yeah. talking about before, where we were discussing like everyone's mindset with like esports being this singular entity instead of being a whole lot of different entities, right? And the way a, a way you can combat that is by just assuming that we're all the same and everyone's success is everyone's success, right? So you can look at on the other side, like the cup half full, I guess you could call it, where if Overwatch League does well, us as League of Legends fans should be like, oh, hell yes. All right, esports is legitimized by this. So 
It's yeah, sort of it's exactly. sort of like it's the dichotomy of that situation where you're compressing it back in together and then looking at it as a, as but, a positive. However, conversely, if something like it's the same way, if something really bad happened to Riot, yeah, I would be fucking worried. Exactly, would because be, then for, like for, for, the for not just everybody, all my friends explode. that work over, you know, that, that, that are covering their games there or yeah, the thank players, you, and thank you. But also for me too, I would be like, oh shit, this is going to affect me as well. I mean, yeah. Um, as much as these companies are all kind of sectioned off from each other with a couple exceptions you know you got wcg is is coming back now uh iem yeah, i am is, still is, there yeah i am because i always thought it was so important um that you had these different franchises had their games next to each other even though that i get why they don't want to have that yeah 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 because it's like all these things need to survive and work or and it's so interesting right because you've got you've got iems but most of what iem is is like CSGO, uh, it used to be League of Legends, but it's not so much there anymore. StarCraft there are there. some of those, but you've got StarCraft there and you've got uh, a few other things. Well, I'm they've not... got, let's see here. IEM. Does, is Hearthstone still at IEMs? Well, no, it, it, there's a difference between um, a, a game being at IEM and then it being an IEM game. Right. So okay. they always have StarCraft and Counter-Strike, which would make sense because yeah, the guy but... that's running at Carmack is like old school and he was... Um, Really like originally in, 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 in a, oh he's great yeah but um Starcraft and uh, Counter Strike are sort of viewed by the company as like okay these games are kind of the uh, grandfather esports or whatever you want to call them yeah we're trying to keep these I guess I think the term they use is legacy esports um and then I think they had League there or they they used to they used they to. used to yeah, yeah. um. And that used to but, be a way of qualifying for the World Championship right. back in the day that was I, sort I think, of like before we'd. Uh, had our own league systems and, and things like that within League of Legends. But I think it is helpful to have these things put next to each other. Yeah. Like, I've always thought it'd be cool to have fighting games and StarCraft. Well, this is, this is what my point games. was going to be, right? Oh, because really? IEM is a separation of genres most of the time, right? So you've got, like, say, Hearthstone is there, but you don't see Magic the Gathering. Uh, CSGO is there, but you don't see, uh, you know, Call of Duty as often. And, uh, and StarCraft's there, of course, because it's the only RTS that anyone watches. But you look at EVO, EVO is 100% a celebration of whichever fighting game you're into all at the same time. That's what I love about the, the fighting game community just in general is that they don't have the feuds. They're all coming up together and they're all celebrating having competition within their own games. There's even players that are competing in different games throughout this whole thing and they're they're able to to do it at the top of uh of their game like it's it's a really different way of approaching sort of the competition within the esports sphere which i actually really like we kind of had a reversal of that in rts um because rts used to kind of be like the, you know the warcraft 3 guys would look down on the starcraft guys but the starcraft guys would have contempt for the Warcraft three guys because yeah. Warcraft three they were getting to travel around and then the Command and Conquer guys and Conquer. Are, they're just leaving I guess <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but you know when Starcraft two came out you saw all people from all the different franchises immediately just go under Starcraft two yeah and and then it was weird it was like everybody looked each other in the eye and said got no choice <laughs> we're got, we're all starcraft 2 people now mm-hmm. um and only now are we having you know with the release of starcraft remastered and warcraft 3 reforged people kind of trickle back out so there's a, a, a slight expansion back into 
diversified RTS, even though the games are older, because those old games are actually still completely playable. Absolutely. As playable as the new games. But um, you're absolutely right. Fighting games have always had this sort of one umbrella. Yeah. We stick together. I think that's in part because fighting games are actually the games that are the most perfected as far as... And also they we, have we the know. most transferable skill set, right? right? You and can so play you've got one like go Marvel vs. Capcom players that are even able to play the same characters that are in something like uh, Street Fighter or something like that. And so, you know, you do have a different situation where the titles aren't necessarily as uh, as relevant, but you've even got games like, uh, you know, Smash Brothers Melee that, that are on a completely different control system. You know, you can't use an arcade stick in order to play that one, so... That's very different, but you've still got that under the same umbrella and uh, in in the same tournament, which I think is actually just just really cool, right? Like if you've got like two people sitting down next to each other fighting each other, then you're allowed to to have your game uh, broadcasted. And I don't know. I feel like more of that could happen because if we're going to have a change of mindset into each esport being its own entity, much like each sport traditionally was its own entity then the more the merrier, right? Because then you can be a fan of whichever niche you feel like. I like that. Um, how was this podcast for you? Is this good? Yeah. Yeah. I've been having a big a really good time. How, have we gone massively over time? No, no, no. We're um let's see here, we're at an hour and twenty two. It's actually pretty clean. Is there anything you wanted me to ask you? Or anything you wanted to talk about? Um not off the top of my head. I think we've gone through a, a lot of different I feel like we've ducked and weaved throughout a lot of uh, different topics that I wasn't necessarily uh, expecting to happen. But I, I think that's actually even better than what I was expecting. This is cool. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this episode. This is nice, man. Um, thank you for being on the podcast, buddy. Uh, are we? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a treat having you, man. It's um, been my pleasure. And I hope you come back soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, am I going to be on the next uh, the next episode, or maybe uh, the the one off? What I want to do, do if we, if we have money on Patreon, <laughs> is get a couple more mics. Actually, oh yeah. So um, yeah, and then then we can and then we could have a couple people. Yeah, then Sounds we have like knights of the round table. All uh, right, make sure you on. hop over onto Patreon, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. That does it for this episode. I'm going to close out this part of the recording. That does it for episode four. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. I feel like with every um, episode I do of this, I'm getting a better, better feel of how to do this show right, and um, I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. Please support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash tastelesspodcast. If we get up to 100 Patreons, we'll be doing a bonus episode uh, with an AMA. Only Patreon supporters can ask the questions in that AMA, so I hope you guys consider that. If you've got the extra cash and throw it our way, it's really appreciated. This podcast was hosted by Tasteless, artwork by Alarise, produced by Melty, music by Mark Lentz. And I guess that's it. Thank you for joining us. I love you guys. I'll see you for episode five in two weeks. Bye-bye.